and welcome to this week's episode from A Lancashire Lass. Today I am joined by Sam Tyra, founder of Change Talks, a mental health education service for 11 to 21 year olds. I must warn you that this episode may contain information that some listeners may find upsetting. Joining me today is Sam Tyra. Hi Sam, how are you today? Hi Lucy, I'm very well, thank you. Are you? Good, I'm really good, thanks. So Sam and I know each other as we used to go to the same gym. I wanted to get Sam on my podcast to talk about his amazing journey with Change Talks and where it has taken him. So Sam, why don't you take me back to what Change Talks is and sort of your process of setting it up? Okay, so um, Change Talks is basically, it's now an educational program that has been delivered to over 35,000 11 to 18 year olds with the key aim to prevent mental health uh, issues. So basically to, to sort of go back in time, I'm very open about the fact that I personally struggled with my own mental health when I was 17 years old, where basically... I went through a series of events which um, really impacted my mental health and ended up struggling badly with depression and anxiety. Now, I was never known to any service. I didn't reach out for support. I basically just gained an awful lot of weight, isolated myself and became this sort of vulnerable, isolated individual. Um, now, it, it was very difficult for me to, to ever talk about this openly because, you know, I come from a, a, a family where it's kind of stiff up a lip, get on with it. Mm-hmm. Obviously, being a lad playing rugby, you know, I just, I hid, I hid those emotions. Um, so more or less failed my A-levels um, and didn't achieve anything for four years in my life. And at 21 years old, I basically went on a, a cycle ride with my dad and he managed to get me to open up that night where I basically sort of, I don't know, I just broke down and, you know, I I let out all these emotions that I was feeling because I experienced a lot of loss um, Mm -hmm. under really bad circumstances. And he said to me that no one's going to come and help you. You know, you have to help yourself, which is true in anyone's situation. You know, if we can offer all the services in the world, but if you don't want to help yourself, nobody's going to change. So basically um, I then decided to lose all my weight and I basically lost about five stone within four months uh, and decided I wanted to become a nurse. I'm just building up to the change talk stuff. So no, basically no, my, my exercise regime mirrored into my academic life where I ended up becoming the highest achiever on my nursing degree. I was invited to do a TV show called SES Who Dares Wins, which I got bit by a banana spider in the middle of Ecuador jungle. Gosh. That's a different story. Um, I'll tell you that one a different time. And um, basically... I'd started a PhD as well. And as I was working as a staff nurse at Preston Hospital, I started to monitor how many people were attempting to take the life, the age, the sex. And basically for a period of about four months, we averaged three people a week were attempted to end the life. And that was from age 16 to the oldest person was 82 that I looked after. And I wanted to do something about it. So basically I came up with the idea to create an event called Change Talks to talk about my own experiences for the first time, other people to do the same and to offer the local community around Chorley, South Ribble and Preston on how they can take care of their mental health. So this event was really successful. Um, It was funded by the local um, CCG. And basically I was then approached by um, the local... um, 
Mental Health Trust, Lancashire and South Korea Foundation Trust, mm -hmm. and basically asked if I would set something up for young people. Wow. Now, originally, I did set Chase Trucks up as a community interest company, uh, like a, ch a charitable business. Yeah. And after a period of time, we basically realized that that isn't going to be sustainable. So we then turned Change Talks into a, a service that the trust that I work for now, we offer. So it's, it's, it's fantastic. Um, so yeah, Change Talks is an educational program that now is teaches young people on anxiety, depression, uh, self-harm, negative use of social media. And it's basically just gone, it's rocketed over the last three mm -hmm. years, which is completely, it's, I'm mind blown. So we'd now turn it into a train the trainer model to basically train people up to deliver these sessions on our behalf. So I've partnered with services like uh, the police for knife crime prevention, young Action for drug awareness, sexual health, um, smoking advice, uh, grooming and manipulation stuff. And yeah, that's just kind of, that's one element to my work. That's incredible. I remember sort of back when you were sort of setting it up, I remember how when it was sort of, when you were talking about it at the gym and things and it was these talks and I, I've just loved seeing how it's developed and how it's helping so many people. So do you go into schools and deliver, is it almost like um, a PSHE lesson that you come yeah. into? Yeah, so it's basically, it's a six-week program. It's one hour a week. Um, I have been delivering the sessions, but it's got to the point now where going forward into next year, we're going to be training people to do it on our behalf. Um, so it's really exciting. Um, we're going to start really small, but if we can get this right, the model that I'm looking at creating could potentially go throughout the whole of Lancashire and South Cumbria and then beyond as well yeah. to, to commission it nationally. And there's no reason why, there's no reason why we can't because... This service is very unique because it's pulled together so many different organizations and services because yeah. what schools don't like is, is being bombarded by this service offering this, this service offering that. Mm -hmm. I've brought them all together into one package to say, this is what we've got for you. Yeah. And hopefully if we can get it right, which is all trial and error, there's no reason why this can't take off and, and be pretty big. How um, did you come up with the name? What was the process for the name Change Talks? Do you know what? I, I, don't, I just remember I was laying in my bed one time and I was thinking like, first of all, I, start, I started thinking like one day at a time or that's too much. And then obviously I want to change people's behaviours to be yeah. more positive. And I just came up with the idea of Change Talks and it's, it's just stuck. And now it's a brand that is, is, is spoken about very frequently within the, the sort of mental health world, which is just... It's just it all take it, it all still surprises me. I, you know, I don't know how I've got into this position. Yeah, because it's like you're so ambitious with wanting to make it national and everything, and I'm sure it will. But just compared to where it was and to where it is, it's absolutely incredible. Um, what kind of things do you sort of talk about then in a session in Change Talks? Do you find more that the children have issues with social media now more than maybe what they used to years ago? Is that becoming a bigger problem? Oh, hundred percent. So social media is one, one, I focus one of the sessions on that because social media is a complete false reality. You know, it's, mm. it, it's a, it's a platform. It can't, you know, it is, it has its benefits, you know, raising awareness of things, but 
young people now are comparing themselves against these Instagram models that don't even look like that in real yeah. life. They're buying likes and followers now. So that is huge. More yeah. and more young people are buying likes and followers because they think that that numerical number makes them more important. And that, you know, that's people the same age as yourself, same age as me. Yeah. People seem to think that these influencers with loads of followers are more important. But let's face it, many of these influencers, which my PhD was focusing on, have bought likes and followers. We get so caught up in wanting like likes and, and people to follow us because it's addictive you know it gives yeah. us instant gratification yeah now i got hooked on this so well, i i'm not on facebook anymore you yeah. know and i i don't post very often about um change talk stuff because i think i think it's really important sometimes to reflect on why we're posting things because we, it's so easy to get addicted to all the likes that you may get on posts which yeah. when i started change talks the, the amount of validation I was getting externally from people through posting things was, it yeah. makes you feel good. But I started questioning like, why am I, why am I posting this? You know, why can I not just get on with the work and then share yeah. some results from it, which I do now. I'm trying to make sure I'm doing it for the right reasons because yeah. you, you, we can so easily get caught up in this cycle because people need to understand that their self-worth is not how, it's, it shouldn't be reliant on how many likes and followers you get. It's not important. Yeah. I um, I'm getting a rant about that. <laughs> <laughs> I um well I didn't realise that you could buy and buy followers and likes and that. I didn't know that was a thing. But I remember sort of when Instagram they don't show likes now. I mean they still do on my phone. I don't know why it's not updated, but on they some people's mine. Yeah, I think I don't know if it's like how long you've had the app or something, but like on my boyfriend's, he's doesn't get how many likes anyone's has had, which I think oh, is right. a good idea. Um, and I think that's them trying to to address that. But I think like, especially with TikTok and sort of being TikTok famous, Instagram famous, I think it seems to be all people want to be, which again, isn't what their self-worth should be on. 100%, you know, young people are aspiring to be influencers. Like what an influence to me is somebody that has gone away, has mastered a craft in something, has, has become very successful, and is now coming back to show people on how they can do that. Not yeah. somebody influencing someone by showing the picture of the backside <laughs> to, to try and, you know, to try and sell products or something. This, this yeah. is what people think influencers are now. It mm. just completely goes over, it goes over my head. So even when young people are getting very, very good jobs, they still feel inadequate because they're not living a lifestyle that some of these people on Instagram are betraying that they have, but it's often yeah. a false reality. The truth behind photos is people can be in debt. The relationships could be shocking. It's all, it's, you know, it's, it's a, just it's a the line, side. Basically. Yeah. It's just the side that people want, people want you to see. And I think like, it's always just the happy side. And um, yeah, I saw something and it was like, unfollow sort of influence and people like that and follow local businesses or follow local things or things that make you happy or give you joy because it will completely yeah. change what you see and can help your mental health in that way definitely definitely you know if you if you're following people that it is impacting you for example you know loads of people could be following models that they think have got the perfect figure but is actually healthy for you to follow are you comparing your body to their body because you know half of these pictures that they're uploading they don't look like that there's so there's drugs that come into it it's you need to be really careful you know i i don't really use social media that frequently anymore um twitter i do because twitter doesn't impact my mental health whatsoever i just think it's a it's kind of a business platform really. yeah, yeah whereas instagram and stuff i'm very reluctant to post stuff now um because yeah. i start thinking well why, why am i doing it mm. 
in, yeah. a, in a way. But it's good to share things. You know, I still do share things, um, but I, d- I don't do half as much as I used to. Yeah, I also think maybe that's a maturity thing because I feel like when I look back on all my memories that come up and, and I'm like, as if I shared that, I can't believe I did that like five years ago. Yeah. And I think it's like maturity as well. Um, you were talking about your PhD. What did you do that on? So uh, that, that I'm not doing it now. Um, oh. So I had to put that on hold. So my my focus was actually going to be around social media and the impact it was having on people's mental health. Mm-hmm. So I started my PhD in the September. So this is when I first did the Change Talks event. And then I left my, my job to start Change Talks in January. And I've just not had the time. So I considered going back to do it, but now I'm doing a master's in public health instead uh, because I'm really interested in the public yeah. health agenda and preventing ill health. And so what has been maybe something that's really struck you from when you do these sort of sessions with children, other than sort of the social media thing that you were saying, is there any sort of thing that you've thought that is awful or, oh my goodness, I need to try and sort that or help them fix it? I think uh, two things stand out really. One is the amount of young people that are now self-harming. Um, so when I'm talking about self-harm, we're, we're mainly referring to cutting here. Mm-hmm. There are more and more young people cutting now. It, it's, it's, it's really worrying. I'm sorry to refer back to social media again here, but actually when you look at the data, between 2011 and 2014, nationally, there was a 68% increase of age 11 to 14-year-olds self-harming. Now, you look at when social media came about and when Instagram and things really mm-hmm. started getting utilised, all correlates with about 2011 to 2014 it's got a lot to answer for to self-harm is a huge concern you know i've dealt with schools where older pupils are basically selling self-harm packs to the younger pupils so they're in they're encouraging them to cut themselves um and then the other thing is drugs now when i was in school and it might be the, the same for yourself the only real drugs that i heard of or or saw people taking was was weed and a fag and alcohol, obviously, completely different now. You've got mushrooms, you've got ketamine. Um, one of the big things is, so in cannabis, there's something called THC. THC is the psychoactive part of cannabis. It's the bit that gets someone high, but it's also the bit that causes things like psychosis. Right. So they, they will get THC liquid, put it into their e-cigs, oh. and it has no smell. So they don't actually realise how harmful that is in the future. You know, all the classes that I go into, I say, are you more likely to do drugs or are you more likely to drink? The majority will say they're more likely to do drugs because it's easier to get hold of. So things like Snapchat, that's how drug dealers are selling it. Um, So a drug dealer, for example, will basically say, um, share my username and you'll enter a free prize giveaway for a gram of ketamine. And they're enticing them into doing drugs. And it's, it's really, it's concerning because a lot of the young female sexual assaults now in schools mm. all link in with ketamine because it's basically completely doping them out. They go into something called a ket hole. Okay. And I just, I think, you know, young people are impressionable. And I think the peer pressure that a lot of them are under now, the more and more young people are taking these drugs, you know, mm. at house parties and stuff go on within schools. So yeah. it's, it's a worry. That's so shocking. Like 
when you said about alcohol or drugs, I would have thought people would say alcohol because you can pretty much go to any shop. I mean, pre-COVID times, if you were over 18 and purchase alcohol. I, I, when I was at uni in Liverpool, uh, someone said to me, right, Lucy, you're going to get offered drugs on every corner, but if you say no, they won't bother you. And I have to say that, like, maybe because I wasn't looking for it, but I did not come into contact or see any visible drugs i might have seen someone who looked a bit high but i didn't come into contact with it but again maybe that's because i wasn't looking for it but that's that's so shocking that that happens in schools of young people you'd be surprised yeah, yeah. and it, you know it's it schools it's schools from all areas as well um you know the, the private schools are actually the worst um you know a lot of the the people i'm not going to name the schools but a lot of the private schools that i've worked in um have a lot of money thrown at them because a lot of them are boarding so a lot of them just spend it on cocaine and stuff like that and you're talking 11 year olds as well it's not the older pupils it's the younger ones as well that's awful so it's 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 worrying but i do feel like the education that we're able to provide can prevent people um getting involved with things like that yeah and because you start at 11 you're able to sort of catch possibly the children who may try it out when they're older and just really educate them um because i'm not sure how many parents would sit the child down at 11 in year six or year seven and talk about drugs I, I get the feeling that maybe they might think that's quite young but as you've said it's not young it's the right age to be talking about it yeah and they need to, i think you know parents they don't want to open up these conversations do they they're fearful they, they think oh, if i teach them about yeah but unfortunately you, you have to talk about it now you know even things like pornography are being mm. watched in primary school so in Lancashire, I was looking at some of the stats in regards to, sorry, this is, it's, you know, it's not the best thing to talk about, but erectile dysfunction in young people, the stats are very, very high because young boys in particular are watching pornography from a young age. So they're actually getting false expectations about what a women or men like should look like. And it's it's causing... There's, there's huge issues around this because more young lads, and it is, it, unfortunately it is this way around, and are, are basically putting a lot of pressure on young women to send inappropriate pictures and to do things that they shouldn't be doing at a far younger age. You know, I, in regards to like, um, you know, sex and things like that, it was year nine in school, when I was in school when things like that would be spoken about. I've worked yeah. in some primary schools and young people have come up to me with porn on their phones, nine years old. But having phones at primary school to me still seems crazy I, because I know. I, um, my daughter won't be. No, I, I remember just getting a little Nokia when I was going into year seven, just because I was getting on the school bus, just in case there was like delays for my mum. But no, but then I only got social media when I was older as well. But um, oh, this is just also so sad, really, that, um, that children, I think the only thing when I was at school, in primary school, so that would have been 2000, and, oh my gosh, 2009, in year six, was, I think it was year seven in biology that we learned about the sexual reproductive system. And yeah. then I think someone came in in year 10, I think it was year 10, someone came in to talk to us. Um, yeah. But I think like parents do worry, don't they? If they open up the conversation, it, um, it'll sort of break their innocent bubble of childhood i guess but yeah. it's part of life <laughs> it's being broke it's being broken at a much younger age now it's unfortunately insane. and because you can't they can't you know you can put as many restrictions on your mobiles your ipads you know as much as you want but you go into school and there will be someone else that hasn't got their restrictions that will show you the stuff 
Yeah. So it's important to have these conversations. It's, it's better to make them aware than, than try to struggle it under the, the carpet. Definitely. Um, so let's go on to talk about your webinar series. So you're a co-host for a weekly webinar series called Mental Health Family Hour. What's that about? What do you discuss? <laughs> yeah. So, so the Mental Health Family Hour. So at the beginning of... Um, the first lockdown, I basically wanted to still provide young people and their families with education on how they can take care of their mental health. So basically I contacted the co-host, Dave Cottrell, who's a, a mindset coach, um, to basically see if he wanted to, to do it with me. Um, and basically we said, you know, let's go for it. And we put out the first um, webinar about 10 days later mm-hmm. and it's just grown over time. We've done about 15 different webinars. Um, and just to give you, just to show the impact of um, the actual webinars, we did one on domestic abuse. And basically we, we had um, the professionals on there and also a lady that had uh, an escape where she was being really badly abused, both emotionally uh, and violently. And off the back of this webinar, three women have reached out to me to say, because of this webinar, it's given them the confidence to relieve, to, to leave their relationships, wow. their abusive relationships. Yeah. Um, so now they're getting support from some of the services within our organization. So it's the power of opening up and storytelling. There's a huge power in that. And basically, I'm not trying to show off here, but <laughs> myself and Dave have won an award yeah, uh, called the Point of Light, the Prime Minister's Point of Light Award. Um, so basically, we were contacted by uh, one of the departments, a Department of Health, uh, Sport and Culture, Media or something. And they basically said that, the, you know, the Prime Minister would like to select you for this award because the, the actual webinar series has been watched throughout the UK and internationally as well, wow. which is just fantastic. Um, and it just shows, you know, that I don't, I always... I'm not trying to sound like a motivational speaker here or anything, but <laughs> it, if someone has an idea, people should just go for it. You know, yeah. I when I started Change Talks and the, and the family hour and things, I was so petrified about people's judgment, about what they would say, what they would think, because unfortunately with social media and stuff, we do care about people's opinions because everyone can have a voice now. Yeah. But if you have an idea, just go for it. You just don't know what can happen. It's, it's incredible. It's been an amazing journey. What was that like when you found out? I bet that was really sort of rewarding that you... Oh, yeah, yeah. Do you know what? It was... I've been fortunate enough to win a couple of awards over the last couple of years. Um, Mm -hmm. And do you know what what I was more proud of was the fact that Dave got this award rather than myself. Mm -hmm. Because seeing his reaction and seeing how proud he was, it just made me feel so proud of him. You know, and it's... it was, it's nicer to see someone else getting the recognition than it is myself in a way. Um, so no, I'm really, really pleased with it though. To get that national recognition is fantastic and it really does raise the profile of, yeah. of our work. And as you said, like telling stories and sort of telling your own story for people who maybe would look at you from the outside would think, you know, you've got, they'd think you've got a perfect life or you've got the, you've set this incredible thing up, but by you sharing your story, you're also making everyone realized that it happens to everyone sort of if you have mental health struggles and that it's kind of normal to go through things oh yeah and I think what I think it's important to say that you know I often say that I've overcovered things but don't get me wrong at times you know I still do feel anxious I still occasionally do feel down because actually sharing my story as frequently as I do because I do go into a lot more detail on some of the talks it's taxing it's very emotionally taxing um 
so you know it's it's just identifying what triggers you what makes you feel bad and trying to learn coping strategies to, to put on its place and i think it's really important to be open especially as a man because you just don't know who's struggling you have yeah. no idea yeah and i think like maybe this is a stereotype but men do t- tend to find it more difficult to, to chat about about their feelings than maybe women do no definitely because you know it, when i actually started struggling i thought i was weak you know i thought that i was weak um and that really got in my head. But actually, I think there's a real strength in actually saying that I'm not okay. And considering what I did go through at the time, I think anyone would have struggled. Um, so, yeah, I try to be as open as I can now because you just, as I said, you just don't know who is struggling. You know, look at people like Tyson Fury. You know, he struggled. I wouldn't like to mess with him, would you? He's not as happy weak, is he? So, no. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, I think if we can create that sort of open culture, it'll encourage other people that are struggling silently to, to reach out for support. Yeah, and also sort of Prince William and uh, the Duchess of Cambridge are very into sort of talking about this and breaking the stigma as well. So I think being, them being such high profile also makes it realise. And then with Prince Harry and Meghan, like with Prince Harry talking about his issues, like all this just being open is a different, it's it's almost like we're a different generation to the, to previously who maybe won't chat about it. And I do think things are changing with with chatting about it now to everyone. Yeah. Oh, I do, I do as well. Definitely. I think it's going in the, in the right direction. I think one of my concerns is there's a lot of people that have jumped on it now in regards, because mental health is the in topic. Some people have jumped on it and a lot of people are making money out of it. Really? And Yeah. And it concerns me that it's, you know, I think everything that I've always done has always been for free because I just want to help people. But some people, um, yeah, I won't go. I won't go into that, Lucy. I won't, I won't <laughs> go down a bit of a different, a different angle. That. Um. So on a personal level, we've sort of chatted about all your. Well, have we chatted about all your job things that you do? Am I missing anything? That, so that's some of the main things. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. We'll just we'll leave it at that. I won't go into. <laughs> I won't bore you with my other stuff. I know it's really interesting. Um. So on a personal level, what do you sort of do in your spare time if you get any spare time from this? Uh, so I'm a, I'm a dad. I'm a new yeah. dad. You know, my daughter, Lily, is uh, four months old. Um, oh. She was born in the middle of this pandemic, which has been a, an interesting time to bring a baby into the world. I was married um, just before lockdown, so really fortunate to have, have got our wedding yeah. in. I'm very grateful for that because that would have been stressful with a, a pregnant wife with that getting cancelled. Yeah. Um, and I'm also um, I'm an ultra runner as well. Um, so I like to run really long distances. Um, I've got a lot of races coming up next year that are around the 100 to 200 mile mark. And if I'm being oh. honest with you, you know, I'm looking to take that very seriously and to try and compete with the best out there. Um, I seem to have something in me in regards to endurance uh, sports. You know, I ran um, something called the Cumbria Way, uh, which is 73 miles with just over 10,000 feet of climbing in September. This was just supported by my dad and my brother just for some fun. And the time that I ended up finishing it in, bearing in mind I got lost and ran 12 hours in the dark, I would have come in the top three in the race. Wow. Um, so there's obviously, I've, genetically, I think I'm, I've, I'm, I'm blessed with the fact that my dad is an, an amazing athlete, as was my granddad. So I'm going to try and take that really seriously and try and um, not become professional, but compete with the, the pros. Yeah. So how long would it take you or are you planning on it taking you to like 100 miles? That is such a long way. It all depends on the terrain. You know, it'd be a lot faster on a road, but I, I tend to do all my training in the hills. Yeah. So it, it all it all depends. Um, I couldn't give you a time, to be honest. Have you done 
Well, I mean, in September, I did a half marathon, which to me felt very, very long. So that's, what's that? 13.6 miles. How long have it, did it take you to do a half marathon if you've done one? A half marathon? If I, the, the, the fastest time I did a half marathon in was, I think it was about one, one hour, 22 minutes. I oh, think. my. <laughs> I think mine was longer. No, mine was like, I think three, three, three hours, but I was sort of doing it more leisurely because I happened to injure my foot the oh, day before. Oh, good though. That's, you know, that's people sweet. getting out there and I think it's important not to compare sort of uh, yeah. what, what, what people do to other, because my, you know, like for example, now I run really slow, but for, for long periods of time, it's just about consistency and it's, it's, it's hard. Um, but I, you know, I, sometimes people, when you say oh, I'm running 100 miles or whatever, they put you on this pedestal when actually anyone's capable. It's just starting in small steps. You know, when I, because I got up to like just below 17 stone when I mm-hmm. um, struggled with depression and everything. But actually, I then started running again and everything. It was like 400 meters. I was blowing out my backside, you know, it was, and it's just starting small and building up. Yeah. And, you know, what you think your limit is, you then achieve that. And then your limits grow even further. And that's why I've just progressed, progressed, progressed. And I'm interested to see where I can go with it. Because I do think I'm capable of, um, you know, winning. That's yeah. going to be the aim. And you've it's like done, a five-year plan. Have you done an Ironman? Yes. So I did, an, I did Ironman last year and a half Ironman. And what so does I that consist my, of? Just so the, the Ironman is a, a two, 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike ride, and then run a marathon at the end. Gosh. So that was, there were just, there was about 2,500 people that started in Bolton last year, and I come 47th. Wow. So really pleased because that's the first time I've ever done an Ironman. Um, yeah. And I finished it thinking I could carry on here. Um, but I've, <laughs> I've decided to let triathlon go purely because ultra running is a lot more. It's, it's easier to fit in with my family life. I can get up at four o'clock in the morning and run and go to work and then come home and just spend time with, with Lily and Laura. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, so with running and that, do you find sort of exercise and running and walking is really good for mental health, sort of having time to clear your head and things? Yeah, I think it sets me up um, for the day really well. I think getting outside in nature alone away from your mobile phones can just completely clear your mind. You know, people talk about mindfulness and meditation. I can't really do the sort of, you know, headspace and calm, them type of apps. I really struggle with breathing techniques and slowing, slowing my mind down. My meditation comes in the form of running up a hill because all I'm thinking about is running up the hill. I'm not thinking about what's going on in the future or dwelling on anything in the past. Yeah. So I encourage people to get out, get outside. It doesn't have to be running 100 miles, but just go on a walk. <laughs> Yeah, and I think like the lockdown when we could go out for just like I think it was one exercise or one hour of exercise a day. I saw so many more people walking, and now to like still people are walking more because I think they've got in the habit, but they've realised that it's like helpful for them as well. Yeah, oh, definitely, definitely. You know, I I encourage anyone that's listening to start moving a bit more. You yeah. know, even small things like take the stairs instead of the lift, and you know, it all adds up in the end. Yeah. Um. So what can people do in 2021 to sort of look after their mental health or check up on other people's mental health? I think in regards to your own, um, I think we've, we spoke about one, getting outside, exercising. I think especially around Christmas time as well, we'll be, we'll be seeing what other people have got for Christmas. You know, people will be posting pictures about the new, I don't know, Help so, me out here, Lucy, with some um, expensive clothes. I don't know any um, makes. I just, 
Um, Louis Bouton, is that something? Louis Bouton. Louis Vuitton. <laughs> that's like the that. one. Louis that's Bouton. Or <laughs> Michael Court. You know, all these fancy things and people will be sitting there thinking, oh, I've not got this, I've not got that. I think something that really helps with my own mental health and something that I advise to do, I advise other people to do is practice gratitude. You know, focus on three things every morning um, about what you do have, you know. So, for example, every single morning, I will think about three things I'm grateful for. That could be I'm grateful for the coffee because some people don't have access to that in the world. I'm grateful for kissing my daughter and my wife before I've gone to work. I'm grateful for having the, uh, you know, having the ability to be able to run today, mm-hmm. you know, them three things, you know, and it helps me focus on what I do have because so often we can get caught up in what we don't because of social media and things like that. Yeah. Um, eat healthy as much as you can. That's something that I really encourage people because serotonin, which is a chemical that's responsible for happiness, yeah. also helps with memory and everything like that. If you're eating, say, a Mackey's every single day, your gut health is going to be, it's not going to be very good. Serotonin stems from the gut. So mm-hmm. if you eat healthy and you have a more, if you have a healthier gut, your serotonin levels will be increased. Because how, what, you know, we're coming up to Christmas, many of us are going to binge on chocolate, mince pies, Yorkshire puddings. I'm making myself hungry as I say this. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, how, how many of us feel rubbish after eating that? So try, try to fix your diet up a little bit. Um, and then, the, you know, the last one is actually... I said Headspace and Calm, they're two apps that um, help with breathing techniques and, and mindfulness and meditation. They don't work for me, but they may work for you. My wife does stuff like that. Many of my friends use that. So mm. have a look at them apps and, and try just slowing your mind down. Yeah, yoga I um, read is also good for sort of breathing and things like that, yeah. doing yoga. I'm just not flexible, so I can't do it. <laughs> Otherwise, I would. But yeah, I think, I think that that is, you know, especially... So there's a book called Atomic Habits, which is a really, really good book about how we should form new habits. Now, often we can feel like I don't have time to meditate. I don't have time to practice gratitude. So every morning, for example, you may get up for a cup of tea or a cup of coffee. Mm -hmm. What you should do, that's a formed habit. So try introducing a new habit attached to the already formed one. So for example, if I want to practice meditation, I'll have a morning coffee and then on Headspace, I'll put on one minute of meditation. And I'm, I'm mm-hmm. trying to form a new habit with one that's already, sorry, yeah. I'm trying to attach a new one with one that's already formed. So try yeah. try that. Yeah. And what do you think about journaling, sort of people writing down their reflections? Yeah, really good. Yeah, I think it's, you know, I did uh, do a lot of journaling sometimes. Um, I, I don't really do it that much anymore. But it just gets your thoughts and feelings onto a piece of paper. Sometimes when you're really angry about something, just writing it down can feel so good just to blurt it all out. And you might even want to rip up that page. That might make you feel good as well. But that, yeah. no, that's a really good, really good thing to do. Yeah. Um, so if someone's struggling out there um, with the pandemic, you know, I'm, I'm sure a lot more people's mental health is being affected by the pandemic. If someone's struggling, where can they go or where to find help if they need it? Or what should they look for on the internet or things like that? So the, the, the easiest thing to, to tell you about is something called the Hub of Hope. So mm-hmm. basically the Hub of Hope, you can download the app or type it in on Google. And all you need to do is put in your postcode and it will basically give you a list of all local services available to you in your area. Yeah. And then you'd reach out through those platforms. So there also are things like Shout, which is basically a texting service where if you are in a crisis or you need some support, a trained counsellor will text you 
on how to get okay. out of this this sort of mindset. And is that sort of twenty four seven or? Yes, twenty four seven. Yep. So there's ones called Big White Wall, Silver Cloud, and also we might as well plug the Mental Health Family Hour as well. If you want to learn about how you can take care of your own mental health, there's loads of strategies on yeah. uh, our webinar series on YouTube. And if people want to find out more about your services, um, have where would they find that? Um, you can email me um, on sam.tyra at lscft.nhs.uk. You can also, I am on Instagram, but, uh, you know, I don't really post much on there. That's sam underscore tyra1 on there. And Twitter, change underscore talks. That's where I post the majority of my work stuff. Um, and then you can also type in change talks Lancashire in Google and you'll find loads of different resources there. Great. Thanks so much for chatting today, Sam. It's You're been welcome. really good. Thank and I hope that people in 2021 um, will find this useful um, and find ways to help their mental health and others. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. To keep up to date with all things from a Lancashire lass, Follow on Facebook and Instagram at From a Lancashire Lass.